Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And APB, American Protection Bureau, voted number one best on Long Island for all your security needs. Call 631-390-9050. That's 631-390-9050. APB. M&J Video Games and Collectibles. Sport and non-sport cards, wrestling items, autographed items. We buy, sell, and trade. M&J Video Games and Collectibles, located at 1049 Queen Street, Southington, Connecticut. Call us at 1-860-479-9223 or 860-93-GAMES. M&J Video Games and Collectibles. Hey everybody, and welcome to the initial episode of This Week in Pro Wrestling featuring me, Bruce, and the one and only player, Benny Scala. What's up, Benny? Bruce, it's a pleasure to be here with you. I came up off a, a very nice weekend uh, because I am the player. I took one of the girlfriends to the uh, the dog track this weekend. Awesome, awesome. Later, hey, how did you, how did you guys make out? I had a great time. She came in third. I'm very pleased. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Way to go. You know, if you guys don't know who that is, that is the player, Benny Scala from Dan and Benny in the Ring, and this week in pro wrestling on the Monty and the Pharaoh channel. Defending a champion, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Rub it in, rub it in. I think I came in last. <laughs> It was a lot of fun. You know what? There, there was no last in that in that game, Bruce. Everybody I thought did phenomenal, and we all had a great time. So we we got to chat about wrestling, give our opinions. But what's better than that? Nothing, nothing at all. Which is why we're here too, and another another chance to have a great time talking about pro wrestling. This is this week in pro wrestling history. Hey, Benny, you want to explain a little bit about what we're gonna do? Yes, absolutely. So what we're going to do is we today is Monday, October the 2nd. What we're going to do is we are going to cover this Monday through Sunday. So that the dates of October 2nd through October the 8th. And so what we're going to do for each date, uh, cover significant uh, occurrences in, in the world of uh, professional wrestling, whether it be last year or uh, 60 years from now or fr from now. Awesome. Awesome. You, know, you want to get this started? Absolutely, let's do it. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, October 2nd, 1990, in Padoka, Alberta, Canada. Does that sound right? Well, I don't know. I mean, where is that even? I mean, it's probably in a, in a barn somewhere. Yeah, population yeah. three. They probably have a dry erase board, and they keep the uh, the tally of the town population on the dry erase board. <laughs> like you said, somebody got to put one in. One left. <laughs> oh, yeah. Baby, a, a baby born at the hospital. We're going to put another little uh, check mark. Nice, nice. Well, this gentleman trained at the in the dungeon, and uh, it's none other than Chris Jericho. He made his professional wrestling debut on this date in 1990, 30 years plus ago. 33 years. 33, yeah. Wow. Can't believe it. What a legend. One of, the, one of the, the greatest of all time, in my opinion. The guy has you know, reinvented himself about 19 different times. I mean, I believe, and we kind of talked offline about this. I mean, he's kind of slowing down now. I think he's going to be. 53 next month but i mean what a what a career how many world championships i mean how many how many championships of of, of every kind Inter intercontinental united states world tag team i mean uh, winning in aew w first wwe undisputed champion just i mean the guys on the mount rushmore yeah the guy top 10 of all time he's gotta be and I, I mean i can't say that i was a huge fan earlier in his career but Let's let's face it, the guys he gave my respect and uh, and then some. I mean, I, I can't believe, like you said, he's maybe slowing down now, but up until a year or so, that guy was on fire still. And how many how many memorable feuds has the guy had? I mean, the one he had with Shawn Michaels, and I'm I might be wrong by a year to I say around 2009, uh, maybe with 
what an epic feud he had with Shawn Michaels. And then he had with, with uh, CM Punk a few years later when Punk said he was the best in the world and Jericho was the best in the world at what he did. And then after that was you just made the list with Kevin Owens. I mean, he went on and on, never stopped. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you know, next on this list, I know you want to talk a little bit about this in 1999 in Atlanta, yeah, Georgia. Yeah, October 2nd, 1999, Atlanta, Georgia, Psychosis is awarded the WCW Cruiserweight Championship when Lenny Lane was pulled from TV, the word pulled from TV for a gay angle. And Lane was actually set to drop the title to uh, Disco Inferno that, that following Monday night. But um, WCW did this in response to a, uh, a possible protest by GLAD, which was the Gay and uh, Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. I guess uh, they, they thought that uh, Lane was a little bit too much over the top. So, And Psychosis was actually uh, supposed to, he was said to have won the title at an unspecified live event. Typically, you know, when, when a, a live event that's undisclosed, it's either parts unknown or uh, Rio de Janeiro. But um, he actually dropped the title to Disco on October the 3rd. So, and, you know, bottom line, I, I'm, I'm wondering if uh, how it felt to, to Lenny when he got pulled. Yeah, dude, I would uh, I would glad react today because, I don't know, I mean, it'll be a, a whole, we're in a whole different ballgame now. Yeah, I think at first he uh, teamed with Lodi, Lodi, and they, they had a, you know, a tag team. They were, they were dressed in hot pink. And I believe after that, Lenny went solo. Won the cruiserweight championship, held it for a while. I thought he did pretty well, actually. I ran into him. I um, lived in Minneapolis for a while, and uh, I saw him at the uh, Gold's Gym there in wow. Minneapolis. Nice, nice, nice guy. So, so let's uh, let's move on. So, in uh, on December second in two thousand seven in Cleveland, Ohio, John Cena suffers a torn back muscle in a match with Mister Kennedy. And has to vacate the WWE title after 380 days. Where where would he where would that reign have ended up if he hadn't have gotten hurt? Yeah, you wonder how long they would have. I mean, that I think would have been the longest reign probably. And what, what was the maybe? Uh, I'm trying to think. Bret Hart before him possibly yeah, in, I mean, in the 90s. Yeah, I, it had to be like the longest in at least 10 years. But he, I mean, who knows? And the amazing thing is I think he was supposed to be out for, um, I think he said seven or eight months, and he was back within four months, which that was a scene at Trademark. However long that the average person would take to recuperate from any kind of injury, Cena was back in half the time, it seemed. Yeah, and what, what an athlete. And, uh, you know, again, you can see the uh, the growth in the individual from when he was young to that to, to who he is now and how, you know, the, the humbleness he was and, I remember him ripping apart the rock at one point, and now he's so apologetic for the for those statements of him uh, abandoning WWF and abandoning wrestling. And it's just uh, it, it's really cool to see how uh, how much that guy's uh, become mainstream too. I don't think he'll ever be the level of the rock, but he's still quite the superstar. And and, and the thing is, he was he's been often criticized for uh, not passing the torch, but. I think he's done that in, on a number of occasions already, and I think he's still doing it. I think um, when he uh, teams up, hopefully this this does happen, uh, teams up with L.A. Knight against the Bloodline at the Fastlane pay-per-view, which I think is next Saturday. I think he's doing this specifically to you know, do, give the proverbial rub to uh, L.A. Knight and and, uh, and push him to the next level. I think, I think L.A. Knight is going to be the next megastar. Yeah. It seems like they're positioning him for that. So, what do you? What's happened next? What do we go? We're going to move on to yeah. Dateline October second, nineteen ninety nine. Oh no, I just did that already. Actually, this is a good one. We're up to October third, October third, nineteen eighty three, Memphis, Tennessee. Austin Idol defeats Stan Hansen for the AWA International Heavyweight Title, and Austin Idol. For those of you, uh, maybe the the, the younger. Uh, uh, listeners here he's one of those to me those what ifs there's several what ifs uh gino hernandez was a huge what if what what if he didn't uh kill himself with drugs magnum ta terry allen what if he didn't get in that car wreck idol's a little bit different i mean what ifs in that i mean he did have the plane crash which i'm going to speak about in a minute but he actually came to the wwf in 1973 
under his real name, Mike McCord. And he they pushed him pretty quick. He worked a program with then champion Pedro Morales, but he actually left the WWF despite Vince Sr. telling him uh, personally that he had big plans for him, but he, because he didn't like the Northeast. He's from Tampa, and uh, despite his, his KFA billing of Las Vegas, uh, he's really from Tampa, Florida, but he just thought the Northeast was too cold. And a couple of years later, and there's going to be a couple of, uh, ironically, two of the people we're going to talk about here were in plane crashes in the same year, but in February of 1975, he was with uh, fellow wrestlers Bobby Shane, Buddy Colt, and Gary Hart, uh, flying to, I believe, uh, from Miami or thereabouts to uh, to the St. Pete. And I think the crash happened right over Davis Island, Florida. But um, Shane was killed, and both Colt and Hart's wrestling careers were over. Although Gary Hart did reemerge as a, as a manager, manager yeah. one of the greatest, in my opinion, one of the greatest managers ever. But McCord, he actually returned to the ring a few months later. But then he took a couple of years off, and when he came back, now McCord, Mike McCord, if you look at any old YouTube video, the guy was husky. You know, you could tell he was a power lifter. When he came back in uh, 1978, he uh, reemerged in uh, Fritz Von Erich's world-class championship wrestling. But now instead of Mike McCord, he's Austin Idol. A um, totally different look. Uh, now instead of a you know husky power lifter, he looked like a bodybuilder. And uh, guy had an amazing career. I mean, wherever he went, and he he made about I don't know about seven different stops in Memphis. But and every time he came back, they always threw him right in the main event because he was he was that charismatic. He had that that hair versus hair match with uh, Jerry Lawler, which if nobody's ever seen that on YouTube, I would highly recommend you see that one of the one of my favorite matches ever. And uh, now, ironically, though, he never returned to the WWF, and you would have thought. Back in the early 80s, when when Vince Jr. bought the company, he would have been perfect for that, but never came back. Yeah, and unfortunately, I only got to see him in his later career. In the, the late uh, late 80s, he did a couple of runs through the USWA and WCCW uh, in Texas, and that's that's my only real exposure to him. But I know that he was quite the uh, quite the player back in his day. Oh, absolutely, and I believe I mean he left. I think he quit in around 89. I think he was like 40. When he left, when he quit wrestling, he never never came back. Um, probably did it like an indie here and there or guest appearance, but he uh, got into real estate and supposedly made a lot of money uh, buying and selling homes, properties. And I believe now he is in South Carolina, Greenville, I believe. And he has, uh, I think it's called Universal Wrestling College, I believe something like that. So he's now, uh, he's now uh, operating a wrestling school. Awesome. Awesome. So let's move on. So on... Uh, the third of October in 1985 in the metal at the Meadowlands Arena in uh, New Jersey, we had the second episode of Saturday Night's Main Event featuring Uncle Elber's wedding that got crashed. I mean, that was that was played throughout the throughout the late 80s over and over and over again. Um, I, I was I was a little kid at this point, and I I remember watching it, trying to stay up late just to watch the the main events when they came on. Uh, they they were quite the uh, yeah, quite the fun wrestling event. Uh, vaguely remember. Here's my question, Bruce. Has there ever been either a wedding, a wrestling wedding, or a contract signing that went without <laughs> violence? No, no. I, I neither one, and I'm not a fan of either one, but they do seem to come up over and over and over again in the uh, in the industry. What I'm wondering is, shouldn't we have a contract signing for every match then? Right. I mean, aren't, well, here, that, that's my thing is like, aren't these guys already on, you know, you're, you're being paid so much to wrestle. Why, why do you need a special contract just for this match? Yeah, just to, so they can have that, that uh, somebody go through the table or, you know, that, that beat down outside the ring or whatever is going to happen. Now, now, honestly, I couldn't even tell you if Uncle, El- Uncle Elmer ever got married that night or not. I do believe that he defeated Johnny Valiant that night. I believe in 12 seconds, which I think at that time was a record. Yeah, and uh, Uncle Elmer disappeared very, very quickly after that too. Yeah, he wasn't really. Where around. did he? I, you know, I couldn't even tell you where where he was before that. Well, were, were they, they, that, weren't they all brought in because uh, Hillbilly Jim had gotten hurt somehow? Wasn't that the reason they had been brought in just to kind of support him during that? Yeah, I, there was Cousin Junior, right, and there was Uncle Elmer. Yeah, I, I believe. So that was just when I was starting to kind of 
watch, like remember wrestling. I watched it earlier, but that's kind of where my my brain kind of picks up. And it's funny because that's kind of where I started tapering off because it was too it was too character and gimmick driven and less wrestling driven. And I grew up, I mean, I started watching wrestling in 1968. Yeah. And I was used to actually watching wrestling. Now, I mean, now I'm just watching a show. So my, my interest waned a bit. I mean, I've never given up wrestling and I never will. But yeah, I, I wasn't really watching that closely at that time. See, where I was the opposite. I was that little kid that Vince was trying to get in. I was that rocky wrestling kid. And uh, you know, Vince was cultivating me for to be a fan for those next 10 years. So it's uh, kind of funny how that works. Well, you, you know that you're old when you look at like, uh, this state in wrestling, and you were already old then. So, I mean, in 1985, I was 30. <laughs> yeah, I was I, uh, eight, nine years old. Okay. Just, just, a, just an affirmation, like, I really need any more than <laughs> an old man. Uh, no, that was, but that was when my wrestling fan, and that's why this, I think this is going to be really cool. You have you know, so much before me, and then I had that, like, right as you were leaving, I got into it. So this should be a lot of fun. I, I think we can fill in the respective gaps, yes, sir. So, uh, so let's talk about the uh, the next one on there. I know you want to talk about this one that led. Uh, yeah, Dateline, October third, uh, twenty seventeen, Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, Lance Russell passed away. Now, uh, I really didn't know about Lance Russell growing up in New York. I mean, my 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 staple was WWF, and then after a while. Uh, I was able to watch uh, uh, from wrestling from the Olympic Auditorium from Channel 41 in Patterson, New Jersey. And then once we got cable, then it kind of opened up a little bit. I got Georgia Championship Wrestling. I got Florida Championship Wrestling, World Class. I think Southwest Championship Wrestling, AWA. I mean, I, I, to me, the more the merrier. Brick. But I only learned of Memphis wrestling probably in the last, I would say, 10 years. And I mean, I knew Jerry Lawler came from there. I knew Jimmy Hart came from there. I knew Jeff Jarrett came from there. But I really didn't know much about Lance Russell. But like the more I have learned about Lance Russell, the more uh, videos I've seen of Lance Russell. I mean, he is, to me, uh, him and Gordon Soley are one and one A, and they're interchangeable. I wouldn't say one was any better than the other. Gordon Soley was more somber and more serious. And Lance Russell was a little bit more of a showman. Yeah, a little more animated. Uh, but, but, yeah, but they were both. I mean, unbelievable. My Mount Rushmore wrestling announcers are uh, Gordon Sully, uh, uh, Lance Russell, Jim Ross, and Bob Cottle, who is the the uh, the Mid Atlantic uh, announcer. And I'm familiar uh, with that. yeah, if, if you if you I believe on uh, Peacock now the the um, WWF and WWE channel there. I believe they have the territories. Actually, there is a uh, there's a podcast called Mid Atlantic Podcast, and you can hear uh, they they actually play some of the uh, you know the broadcasts, and you can listen to. He was very very good, you know, n- nothing spectacular, but just really really steady and just got you hooked into the action. But uh, Lance Russell, just to me, like anything that happened there, even that you know with Andy Kaufman, Lance Russell was always in the middle of it. We had uh, Shane Russell was one of my guests on Dan and Benny in the ring. And just if you, if you haven't listened to that, he really did a good job of describing his dad and his career and his life. And just one of those guys, like when you think to me, when I think of wrestling now, I think of Lance Russell. I was fortunate when uh, I was a kid, I, uh, I, I got to see that him on ESPN every uh, pretty much two to three days a week. They would replay at 4 PM old WCCW and USWAs and, that's how that's my exposure to to him. So what a what a legend you know, there. I, I got to go on my soapbox here, and I know Mike's going to be mad because I I do this a lot. But you know, we, we it's our show. You go on your soapbox. That's <laughs> right. Screw you, Mike. Uh, we have this endless debate about you know how Vince McMahon made wrestling better. Um, it, I, now, did he make it bigger in terms of you know making it national? Absolutely. But did he make it better for the fans? So, I mean, I, my name is Joe McGillicuddy. I live in Memphis, Tennessee, and it's 1981. Um, I can go every Monday night to the Mid-South Coliseum. Every Monday night, I can go 52 times a year and watch Jerry Lawler. I can watch Bill Dundee. I can watch Jimmy Valiant. I can watch Jimmy Hart. I can watch Austin Idol. You know, or 
I, I'm, I'm Benny McGillicuddy, and I live in Tampa, Florida. Every Tuesday night in 1981, I can go to the Homer Hesterly Auditorium. I can see, I can see Kevin Sullivan. I can see Eddie, Eddie Graham. I can see um, Dusty Rhodes. I mean, I can see Maniac Mark Lewin, the Purple Haze, Bugsy McGraw. You name it. You know, it, to me, wrestling was an intimate thing because if you're in an arena, even if you go half the time, you go 25 times a year. Those wrestlers, they see you there all the time. They they get familiar with you, and you, and you kind of feel like you know them. And now, I mean, fast forward to twenty twenty three. You know, I live about twenty miles from Tampa, Florida. They might come here what once, twice a year, and I'm going to be one of you know what twenty five thousand people at the Amelie Arena, whatever it holds. To me, wrestling was it was supposed to be a small, intimate thing. I mean, when I don't know when you started watching, but I was, we used to have spot shows at the local high school, you know, maybe 500 people. I, I saw a show in, I guess it was 1987 in Hagerstown, Maryland. And the main event was um, Billy Jack Haynes versus the Iron Sheik. <laughs> there may, there might've been 700 people there, but I mean, I had a great time and they don't have that anymore. And that's what Vince McMahon has taken away from us. You know, he, he's made himself a billionaire. But are are we better off by by him doing that? And I, my opinion is no. Yeah, I, I love watching the old stuff. I think there's been so much that's been lost. I think that this, the storytelling has really been lost this day and age of the gymnastics end of it. Um, there's too much. There, there's too many flips. Too many false finishes. Nothing seems to hurt anybody anymore. I didn't know there were that many supermen out there. Yeah, I mean, you know, back in the day, if, if you know Bruno got you in the back breaker or the back breaker or the bear hug, you were done. It was it. If if Lawler gave you a Paul Driver or a Paul Arndorf, you weren't kicking out. I mean, or, you know, superstar Billy Graham with the bear hug, you weren't getting out of that. It, it, you know, the finisher was truly a finish. There are no finishers. I mean, you get powerbomb through eighteen tables. Thirty seconds later, you're making a comeback. That's ridiculous. So, Benny, we, we have to take a quick break for our sponsors, and uh, we'll be right back. All right. Elm Logistics. For all your logistic needs, call 631-299-3595. That's 631-299-3595. Elm Global Logistics. Pride, performance, and partnerships. The Monty and the Pharaoh Show is brought to you by... Because wine is your second favorite four-letter word. California wine, New York attitude, good fucking wine. Yeah. And we are back with Bruce and Benny the Player. What's going on, Benny? I, I took a brief nap while we had our commercial break, but I'm, I'm ready to go again. So you're all rejuvenated? I'm charged up. Yes, sir. Awesome. Awesome. So let's talk about this next event. This could have changed. This event cha did change wrestling history, but could have changed wrestling history in a whole different ballgame. You're talking about Dateline, October 4th, 1975, Wilmington, North Carolina. Ric Flair survives a plane crash, which killed the pilot and permanently disabled the great Johnny Valentine. So um, we already talked about Austin Idol being in a, surviving a plane crash. Uh, Idol had two broken ankles and broken ribs, and uh, he actually was able to return several months later. Flair was in a plane crash with um, Johnny Valentine, Bob Bruggers, and uh, Mr. Wrestling Tim Woods. Flair, I think, broke his back in three different yeah. places. Yeah. But, you know, it's really funny. Of course, the rest is history. K, you know, Flair came back, and it, it, he actually changed his style he was another one like like uh austin idol he was a husky guy you, you know kind of a power style and, huge yeah yeah he probably was close to 300 pounds came back slimmed down more of a you know a bodybuilder physique uh, but here's the funny part is that you know tim woods who was mr wrestling was in the crash and uh at the time you know uh, woods was a baby face flair and valentine were heels and woods was uh, feuding with the two of them and kayfabe was so strictly adhered to uh that there were rumors swirling around that that woods was in the same plane and back in 1975 
that kind of stuff didn't happen. I mean, you, you know, the the, the heels were on one side of the fence and then, you know, the baby faces were on the other and, and never the twain shall meet except in the ring. And Woods was such, he was so devoted to, to wrestling that he actually appeared in the ring two weeks later after the crash, uh, just to prove that he was not in the plane. It's like, how could I have been in the plane? I'm here. I am two weeks later. And, uh, according to Ric Flair, that, that actually, it, it saved wrestling, according, according to Flair, that, you know, Woods did that just for the sport of professional wrestling, just to, to protect kayfabe. And what a change to, you know, 2023 when nobody really cares about that. <laughs> yeah, what's kayfabe now? Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> That's some girl that I dated. Her name was kayfabe. Yeah. You know, because I, I keep seeing all this stuff with them. Yeah, everybody's upset with Rhea Ripley announcing that she was engaged. Listen, we all know she was dating the guy from AEW. What's the big deal? We know the the Dom, right. you know, we know the Dom mommy angle isn't real. Come on, we're we're in twenty twenty three. So it's really it's a not. TV oh, show. Geez, man, that, that <laughs> burst my bubble. <laughs> so what do we got next? So next on the uh, October fourth, nineteen ninety three, in Columbus, Georgia, Buff Bagwell and Two Cold Scorpio defeated the Nasty Boys to win the WCW World Tag Team Champions Championship. So. Well, you know, this was uh, early, relatively early in Buff's career. And, um, you know, the, not a big fan of, of the Nasty Boys, but you know what? They are a legendary tag team. Um, what, was, uh, what was the big significance of, of, this, uh, of this championship run, do you think? I, I mean, I, Buff, I, I don't know what happened behind the scenes, uh, but it seemed like in WCW, he became more of a tag team specialist where I thought he should have been a main eventer. And, I mean, he won with who? Scotty Riggs. Or who else did he win with? He won, he won four or five WCW Tag Team Championships with a number of different partners. Um, but I could never get why he wasn't in contention for the world title. And then when he, I think when, when, uh, when oh. WCW closed up in 2001 and uh, he came to WWE, he wrestled one match, I believe, uh, against Booker T in Seattle, and he was gone. Well, I think he didn't. He have a little bit uh, of high self worth for himself too. He had a very, very high self opinion of himself, and uh, it, it, not too many people agree with him. I mean, the guy had a had a million dollar body and a you know seven dollar brain apparently. <laughs> yeah, he just, he did he did have the package, but yeah, I, I'm surprised he never went bigger. So, so next we have on also on October fourth. This is in two thousand six. World Wrestling Entertainment premieres the Marine at Camp Pendleton. What do you think how, about how that? many Marines were, were there in total? I think there were uh, four, four, five, six, thirty-eight, something like that. And, and yeah, yeah, the Marine sixty-three is in a walker. Um, so was it Cena first, then Ted Junior, Ted DiBiase Junior, and then the, the Miz? Yeah, I okay. believe so. I, I believe so. I have to confess that I have seen. Zero minutes of the Marine. I have to confess, I've seen uh, zero minutes of any of the Marines. Um, and I hey, have to confess what? that my, the under over is that I will never see any minutes of the Marine. Here's the one thing I will say. I This is one of the things I do respect Vince McMahon for. He really does care a lot about our armed forces. And, uh, you know, this was to honor them. So, you know, th thank you, Vince, for, for that. You know, I and... I will never be accused of being a Vince McMahon fan ever. But, I mean, there are attributes like we were talking about um, uh, when uh, Monty and the Pharaoh were on Dan and Benny. We were talking about Tony Khan versus Vince McMahon. And as much as I do not like Vince McMahon, I have to say unequivocally that none of the shenanigans like what happened with Punk, that stuff would never happen in WWE because everybody knew who was in charge there. And you knew that if you, you know, crossed a certain line, you're going to be out of a job where that doesn't happen in in, uh, in AEW. So I give, I give Vince Mc, McMahon, I mean, the guy was a great leader and I mean, didn't agree with all his decisions. But, um, you know, and then, like you said, yeah, he did. He paid homage to the military. Got to give him credit for that. Let's move on to October 5th, 1997 in Bloomington, Minnesota. Brian Pillman was found dead in his hotel room at the age of 35. So sad. Wow. Yeah, I mean. So sad. The, uh, what a waste of an amazing talent. That guy, 
the loose cannon angle. I mean, the guy was just, he, he had it all. He was a total package. Definitely world championship material. He and Steve Austin were awesome together. Yeah, very sad day in wrestling. And, uh, yeah, I don't really have much more to say. I, I really wish I don't I think he was ever the same, honestly. I mean, I, and I have to say, as far as like the, the Hollywood Blondes and WCW, to me, is one of the best tag teams ever. Absolutely. I don't think they get the credit that they deserve. Very, very underrated tag team. They were great together. Um, I didn't think Pil- Pillman could pull off the heel thing, and he did it to perfection. But, you know, that that car accident that left him with a fused ankle, I think that was that was his undoing. He was never the same after that, both physically and, and psychologically. But anytime anybody dies at the age of 35, he's another what if. I mean, if he hadn't had that accident and kept his head on straight, I, I agree with you. I think at some point he would have became a, a world champion. No, I wonder. I, I, you know, I, I wonder if the painkillers also got hit because that was that era where they were really pushing the, those painkillers out like like candy. I, I think they each had like you know a Hello Kitty Pez dispenser, and instead of putting Pez in it, they put they put pain pills. Yeah, yeah. when I got to talk to uh, Duke Drosy this past week, it was a it, it was kind of enlightening what they what these guys have to go through with uh, with their bodies and uh, you know they're in constant pain. Um, yeah, we, we as fans we take it for granted, but like talk to any of these guys and they'll. I mean, I've had Baby O'Hannon uh, on on our podcast several times, and the guys had I believe about fourteen different surgeries. Um, and you wouldn't think of him as somebody who was like, you know, really mixed it up and took a lot of bumps, but he did. I mean, they all do. So, yeah. So Mike's interrupting our our talk right now. I sent him a text on something earlier and he finally responded. (laughs) As I thought it was going to be something on our show, but it it wasn't. But, uh, okay, let's, let's move on. Same day, October 5th, 1997, the first Hell in a Cell match between The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. And what was the big outcome of this? The debut of the Undertaker's brother Kane. Now that was uh, that was some entrance he had. Absolutely, and I don't know about you, Bruce, but and I, I was still watching pretty regularly at that point. But when I saw Kane, I did uh, another gimmick. I, I gave Kane a shelf life of six months, <laughs> and boy, oh boy, was I proven wrong because oh, yeah. he just he just kept going and going and. Uh, I mean, Glenn Jacobs was a, a hell of a, a performer. He really was. I mean, he and again reinvented himself, reinvented himself, and uh, you know, now we come when he comes back as that big red machine. Look at the pop he gets. You know, but we've and, now lost, he's, and now he's a mayor. Yeah, yeah, no, that's crazy, absolutely insane. So let's move on to 1999, same date, Uniondale, Long Island, New York. Another sad day in wrestling. Darren Drozdov was severely injured during his match with D'Lo Brown. Yeah, I've watched that match before, several times, and I mean, it, I've seen bumps so much worse than that, and spots so much worse than that, that have done no damage, and it's just so unfortunate for for uh, for uh, Darren that, uh, that that happened. Uh, you know, it's really funny though, Bruce. I mean, I, in my lifetime, and it hasn't been recent, but I mean, I have squatted five hundred pounds, and I mean. Does it feel good? No, but I mean, like after I was done, I mean, I was I was kind of like a bit sore, but I've had worse pain where I just turned the wrong way. You, know, you just go bend down and pick something. You just turn and I hear what somebody said, and I just tweak my back and I'm in agony. So you, you never know. It's just like it just whatever happened, you just got hit right, and, and, and I don't want to say the right spot, definitely the wrong spot. And what a shame! Another. I mean, he was another up-and-coming guy, young guy, had a great career in front of him, and that was it. Yeah, so uh, let's move on to October the 6th in 1935. I know you want to talk about this one. My hero, Bruno San Martino, the GOAT. And, you know, I get very upset when I watch TV, I watch SmackDown, and they call John Cena the greatest of all time. Bullshit. There's nobody in Bruno's class, and there never will be, but... Bruno San Martino was born in Abruzzi, Italy, actually a little town called Pizzoparato. And I'm not going to get into Bruno's career. I'm just going to get into his childhood. When Bruno was, I believe, about eight or nine. So he grew up uh, right in the beginning of World War II. And the Germans actually um, took over his town, took over his house. Um, And he was forced with his mother, his brother and his sister uh, to actually take take, uh, you know, take cover. In the mountains, they called it Valaraca, which I'm not really sure what it means, but it was, they actually 
it was a mountain and they all lived up there. Many, many families. He lived in a tent at times. He ate dandelions, um, or snow just to survive. And, um, his mother, um, who he said is the bravest person he's ever met. His mother would actually make a trip down from the mountains to their house because they had, um, she stored provisions in the basement of the house, uh, wheat, corn, things like that, so they could have food to eat in the winter. She would actually, you know, sneak into the basement of the house. When, when, at the time, when German soldiers are in the house, and it was about a day and a half trip each way, and he'd wait and wait and wait. Like three days later, she'd reappear. She actually got shot one time by the, sh- the soldiers. But uh, I believe when he was 12 or 13, he contracted rheumatic fever. And his mom, you talk about old school, actually applied leeches on him to suck out the poison. And he survived. And it took him. He did not come to this country until 1950 when he was, I believe, 14 and a half. Uh, And it was only because he was not healthy enough to pass, I guess, whatever physical he needed to pass to to come here. Um, He weighed 83 pounds when he came to the at 14 years old. And um, he got to Pittsburgh, got beat up by the kids in school. He spoke no English, uh, you know, skinny kid, got picked on. And I guess eventually there was a friend of theirs that uh, uh, referred him to the, wasn't the YMCA, it was the Young Men's Jewish Association, I think the equivalent to YMCA. But, uh, and Bruno walked in at like 15 or 16, uh, saw the weights, and he said, I knew there was something good in there for me. And uh, that's that's the you know the rest is history. Yeah, the the legend, the true goat. Um, I don't think anybody can deny that. There's nobody who's going to ever match his reigns. No, Roman never reign, well, Roman's reign will not. Uh, will listen? Do I think he's going to beat Hulk Hogan? Absolutely. I don't know how much further than that they're going to go. But but keep in mind, Bruno was only a two-time champion. I like when people say, "Well, he's a fourteen-time champion." Yeah, that but Bruno was champion, times. right? <laughs> and, but but the only reason Bruno uh, took he he gave up the title at I think it was seven years and eight months with to Koloff. Was it because well, of- no, that was the first time that that was the second time. The first time he just was tired. I mean, he'd been on the road, you know, three hundred days a, a year for almost eight years wrestling night. I mean. You know, Roman Reigns, but he's defended the title in, in those three years, maybe 25 times. Bruno, in that same time period, probably defended it at least six or 700 times. Yeah, I know. So, come had, on. It, it, I was surprised when not I started a to uh, look at my local history. My grandfather used to tell me about going to one of our local venues called the Avalon. It's a little skating rink. It's no longer there. But they used to have, they used to come up. And, I mean, Bruno was there. Uh, every, everybody was anybody. But, yeah, they used to. They would score all over into little towns. Yeah, that, that's what they were doing. Bruno wanted to go home and spend time with his family. They they weren't telling him, "Hey, Bruno, we're going to take the belt off you. We're going to we're going to put Cole off." Over. Bruno said, "I'm going home. You need to find a replacement." And then they, you know, they found Cole off as a transitional champion. And then they, you know, they segued to Pedro because they couldn't do, you know, at that time they wouldn't do a a babyface versus babyface title match, even though they did do it a couple of years later, but. You know, Bruno gave up the title both times. So, he, he could have been the champion 20 years running if he wanted to. So I got, I got a question for you, being that you were around in that era. So when I was a little kid, when they would announce Pedro Morales, they would always say, former intercontinental great Pedro Morales. It wasn't until a few years later when I started doing my wrestling history, learning my wrestling history that I learned that he was heavyweight title, or heavyweight champion. Why did they focus so much on him being the intercontinental? I, I I don't know, maybe because it was the last thing that happened. But yeah, I mean, Pedro, uh, Koloff had the title, I think, for 20 days or 21 days. And I believe it was sometime in January 1971 uh, that uh, Pedro beat, beat Koloff. I think it was at the Garden. And Pedro had the title almost three years. He lost in December. I think it was December 1st, 1973 to uh, Stan Stasiak. And then, you know, again, Segway the title back to Bruno. Stasek had the title for uh, nine days, and Bruno beat him on the in, on the December the tenth. And then Bruno held the title for another three plus years, even though they told him, "Bruno, we only we only want you to hold the title for a year. We're going to groom a replacement." And after the third year, he said, "Look, you guys got to find somebody." And that's when they had him drop it to Billy Graham. But again, that was his doing. They, you know, they weren't telling him somebody's going to 
you know, we want to put somebody over you. Bruno was saying, look, I want to go home. You need to find somebody else. Nice. So, but yeah, I mean, Pedro was a good champion. I mean, I, you know, Bruno was my hero. And, you know, when, when Pedro became the champion, I got to, I mean, honestly, thinking like, this isn't Bruno. But as time went on, he kind of grew on me. He was a good champion. So let's let's move on. We'll talk about another legend. I know you want to talk about this. And this is on uh, also on uh, October 6, 1999. This one happened in Wilmingboro Turnpike. Wilmingboro Township, New Township. Jersey. So, uh, yeah, the great gorilla monsoon, Robert Morella, passed away at the age of 62. And um, I have very fond memories of gorilla monsoon. Gorilla monsoon was the very first uh, heel to baby face turn that I ever saw. Uh, I believe it was 19, either late 1968 or early 1969. Bruno, I don't know what happened to his partner, but Bruno was wrestling uh, with a partner, uh, Toro Tanaka and Mitsu Arakawa, and uh, wound up being a two-on-one. And Bruno's being attacked, and I and then I hear Ray Morgan saying, "Here comes Gorilla Monsoon," and I'm thinking like, "Oh shit!" Now it's three-on-one, and to my surprise and shock, you know, Monsoon. Uh, he he got rid of the the, the two Japanese guys, you know, the, um, the villainous duo. And uh, they, the funny thing is, though, he was billed for Manchuria. The legend is that Bobby Davis, his manager, found him wading naked through uh, a stream in Manchuria. <laughs> Spoke no English. Now, in reality, he went to Ithaca College. A very, very intelligent man. <clears throat> but he went from, you know, only grunting before this. Next thing you know, he's got a nice haircut, no no more beard, and he started speaking fluent English in a matter of a week. Go figure, right? But I have to say, too, as far as Gorilla Monsoon, him and Bobby Heenan were, for my money, they were the best duo in the history of wrestling. The Absolutely. chemistry they had with each other, I could never, I mean, we could talk the rest of the show about that. Primetime wrestling. wrestling. I was, that was my wrestling youth, primetime wrestling, wrestling challenge, Bobby the Brave Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon. They were how, how good were they? That's they were I mean. awesome. I mean, and, and realizing they were, they were best of friends outside of that, and, and the banter back and forth, it was just it was great. I'll never forget when, uh, right after he passed away, when at that point Bobby Heenan had moved on to WCW and he was commentating with Tony Schiavone, and uh, Bobby said something about Gorilla passing away. And Bob, you know, even then he was still a heel announcer, and you could see that he he teared up very visibly and very quickly. You could tell how like heartbroken the guy was. And I never felt the same way about Bobby Heenan after that. I thought this Bobby Heenan's a good guy. I mean, for him to feel that way about somebody, he's not what he portrays himself to be. So all right. Well listen, it's about that time we gotta take another quick break. You wanna send us to this break? We'll be right back after these commercial messages. All right. Hi, it's Josh from Under the Table Hot Sauce. I'm here with my friend, the star of the show, Jimmy Farrow. Yeah, what's up, JB? Nah, nothing. It's been a hot summer, and for all your barbecue needs, you can go to UnderTheTableHotSauce.com. 13 unique flavors to choose from, created and bottled in a Long Island kitchen. UnderTheTableHotSauce.com. Let's go chow, JB. Let's do it. All the flavor, twice the burn. Sir? Ah. Manscaped? Uh-huh. Uh, you know, have you tried the new equipment that's been sent? I'm afraid because it says Weed Whacker. <laughs> I'm scared. Maven, Manscaped, what are you thinking about Love Manscaped, it. dude? You Love it. it. What do you use it for? Necessity. <laughs> what don't I use it for? Put it this way. <laughs> the only hair I have on my entire body is these eyebrows. Yeah. That oh. you see. These wow. caterpillars racing to the middle of my nose. That's it. That is it. That's all, that's all I have. And that's all I want. That's the so pick. Manscaped there, is a you, must. We were talking before the show. There's nothing worse than just hair. Yeah. Right? Hair on a woman, hair on a man. It's just bad. Absolutely. And it's the one thing that the older I get, it starts growing more in unwanted areas. Absolutely. I hate it. I'm going to ask you a question. Uh-oh. Just going to go out there. Oh, boy. Go for it. You're doing a deed. Yes. <laughs> Again, I don't want you to have to admit this because we... As men, we try not to admit this, but if you're going to oh, go do I the know deed it. on a woman, I know would you rather have her be hairless or a little hair, racing stripe, or <laughs> racing stripe. full retro bush? <laughs> racing well, stripe. Retro bush is out. Yes, thank you. Retro bush is out. Yeah. Um, I don't mind a small, well-manicured landing strip. 
every now and then, if it's completely, and I'm talking like baby's ass bald, mm. then I, I start, where is that pedophilia line? That I'm, that I'm, I don't, I don't wow. want to wander into that. That's very interesting. Like that. I never thought about wow. that. You're a smart dude. Holy yeah. shit. So if the landing strip is clean enough for the plane to go in smoothly, you're cool with that. If the landing strip is, has, like I said, well manicured, yeah. you yeah. can see both sides. It's not like blinking lights on both sides of that. Plane? I just don't, I don't want, <laughs> you know, I don't want the shrubbery going off into yeah. unwanted areas on that gotcha. as well. Gotcha. Oh, yeah, look but, what you found. Ooh. I gotta be all honest gotcha. though. Hey. The, ah. <laughs> the older I get, though, I don't. I think I don't think I can be as. Uh, I as, found as, it. Have, I found have it. Have you ever gone down there and like just like you, she slowly brings down the underwear? Then what is retro? Just, Absolutely. Retro? You're like whoa! Wow, yeah, like, I'm like it pops out. Do you like walk out or what do you do? No, I, tr I muster through. I muster up the <laughs> courage. This is a trooper. Yeah, this is a trooper. Gotta give him an yeah, wow. Not all not all heroes wear capes. Yeah, I, there you no, go. I hear you. Uh, <laughs> listen, can't, I couldn't. I couldn't Super say, Bush. I couldn't say. Well. If you have the same beliefs as Maven does, Manscaped could help you. Absolutely. The weed whacker. Absolutely. What are you thinking? I'm thinking that I may have to, like, you know, go in a room, close the door, and hang out with the weed whacker for a little while. Yeah, I think you're a retro guy, aren't you? I like 70s adult films, if that's what you're getting at. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, but with that, we're going to take a quick Batman. commercial break. and anyway. be back with this wrestling icon, Maven. We will see you in a drop kick second. Uh -oh. A drop kick. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. So here we go. October 7th, 1972, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Ken Patera announces he's retiring as an Olympic weightlifter to become a professional wrestler. And Ken was uh, our guest uh, on Dan and Benny in the Ring on our 100th episode. And we actually, uh, was it was recently replayed on the, the Monty and the Pharaoh YouTube channel. What a, I mean, that man has no filter. And you talk about somebody who's... I mean, I, 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 I try to. And I love the Silvadai story to rock the boulder through the window now. Oh, no, yeah. He, he, he didn't do that. No, that was, that was a disgruntled ex employee. I mean, I believe him because I, I don't want to disagree with him. But, yeah, exactly, but, exactly. but one of this, I think one of the smartest decisions ever that the, the guy wanted to, to you know, the, the history of mankind. Uh, Patera was a star wherever he went. I mean, now this is something that would never happen again. In 8 21st, 1980. He wins the WWF Intercontinental Championship. He defeats Pat Patterson. And then four days later, he went in, I believe it was in St. Louis, he wins the NWA Missouri Heavyweight Championship. And that is, I mean, that was one of the most prestigious territory titles there was against Kevin Von Erich. So, I mean, in the span of four days, he wins like the second biggest uh, WWF championship. And he wins arguably, besides the NWA title, Probably the second best territory title. I mean, he was that good. And Bruno, according to Patera, Bruno actually wanted uh, to drop the the his title to him, but uh, Vince Senior went uh, decided on Billy Graham because uh, Vince Senior had very very close ties to uh, Eddie Graham in Florida, and at the time, um, at the time, superstar Billy Graham was wrestling down there, so it was close. And I do believe that Patera could have, and now maybe he didn't have the charisma of superstar Billy Graham, but I think he could have carried that for 10 months. Yeah, I, I, my exposure to Ken Patera was when they tried to, uh, when they brought him back to the WWE, uh, WWE with the, when he didn't have the bleach blonde hair and brought him back as a face as the former Olympic great in, uh, I believe it was 86 or 87, uh, when they, they were really trying to bring him back as a face and reinvent his, uh, yeah, his image there. And they pretty much jobbed him out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So next we have on 10-7-1984, Charlotte, North Carolina, one of the yeah. biggest food feuds ever. Yeah. I mean, Wahoo McDaniel defeats Manny, the raging bull, Manny Fernandez, to win the NWA United States Championship. What can you say about both of these guys? Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. regarding Wahoo, yeah, I've seen it's a Ric Flair, Wahoo McDaniel, two out of three falls match on YouTube. I believe it was from Daytona Beach. And I think it might have been like the time Wahoo was the U.S. champion, Flair was the world champion was one of the best matches I've ever seen. I mean, those guys beat the ever-loving shit out of each other. I mean, it, I mean, it looks so believable. But but both Manny and Wahoo, both these guys were tougher than dirt. You know, and I now I watch AEW, I see a moron like uh, Orange Cassidy with his hands in his pockets. I wonder what would happen if he pulled that crap with Wahoo or Manny. Like, we, we, we'd be talking about the guy in the past tense. And you know, I know Manny's been a, a guest on Monty and Affair several times. Guy, 
both of these guys are just a real deal. That's all I really can say. Yeah, I, uh, I was, I had the honor of actually interviewing Manny Fernandez and Tommy and Rich down with Mike, with Mike and Jimmy. It was awesome. And uh, I was talking to Manny outside and he was talking about their strap matches. And I, in the they have, they toured the country doing these. And I guess at one point, Manny turns to Wahoo and says, well, that's all you got? And the rest of, the rest of it went down in history. They were beating the heck out of each other with those straps. So awesome, really, really nice down to earth guy too. It was a, it was an honor meeting him. Yeah, definitely love Manny. So next we had on uh, October seventh, two thousand one in Waukahatchee, Waukahatchee, which was the the uh, I don't know if it was the kayfabe home or the real home of uh, Dick Murdoch, but uh, gentleman Chris Adams, another what if guy. He was awaiting trial for manslaughter, shot and killed by a friend during a drunken brawl. Uh, Chris Those Adams is a huge talent. Yeah. Uh, phenomenal wrestler, great on the mic, in my mind. Uh, he was the first guy that I saw do the super kick, and I still think he did it better than any, anyone. And ironically, trained uh, Stoke Hall, worked with two Stone Cold Steve Austin, who uh, reportedly called him a pile of crap. I guess he was a bit of a scammer. Yeah, my, my, again, my, uh, going back to the WCCW days when he was uh, the face and teaming with the Von Erics, that's, that was my major exposure to it. And that was back in the, yeah, he actually, didn't he do a blind angle or something? Yes, he did. You yeah, are correct. Yeah, that's, I vaguely remember that just popped into my head. And, so, but also, so, uh, huge talent. Just, yeah. uh, you know, couldn't keep his head on straight. Yeah. So now let's go into Chicago in, uh, 2007. We have, what do we, well, we have two things here. Which one is, uh, they're both. Uh, so, I mean, and I, I didn't watch this, but the No Mercy pay-per-view against Triple H beat Randy Orton, and then later on, Randy Orton beat Triple H on the same night. <laughs> yeah, I didn't catch that. It was, uh, I was not around at that point, but that sounds, <laughs> that sounds pretty crazy. That sounds WWE-ish. That sounds about right. Yeah, they, uh. At that point, the titles were changing hands way, way, way too often. I really like now that they're they're putting the titles on people for longer periods and really making making a win of the titles seem you, like it's I important. mean, back in the day, like uh, you know, before I'd say Harley Race, and you had Briscoe had the title for like two or three years. Uh, Dory Junior had the title for four years. I mean, Bruno had the title for eight years, and then he had it for almost four years. I mean, even Hulk, his first time, I think he had it for four years. You typically didn't trade a title off like in a, in a matter of weeks or months. Well, but that early two thousands, you know, how many <laughs> how many championship runs were there per year? Now, I mean, now they measure it in days. Yeah, yeah. So let's move on to two thousand fifteen. This was actually a really really important uh, important event. Bailey defeated Sasha Banks in a thirty minute Iron Woman match. Two legendary women wrestlers here. Uh, really, this is the beginning of that that new era of women's wrestling that we have now. I never would have thought that women's wrestling would be at be where it is. I mean, we we have several companies with established women's rosters, women's tag team champions. It's it's a whole different world. Who would have ever thought? Well, I mean, look at the hoopla from uh, uh, recently when Jade Cargill yeah. signed with WWE. I mean, that that I mean. Ten years ago, if a woman wrestler traded companies, who would have really even cared? But now, I mean, they're they're right in the fore- forefront, and rightly so, they deserve to be. Absolutely, absolutely. And some of these, I'm sorry, some of these women's matches blow some of the men's matches out of the water anymore. It's absolutely uh, the the recent match that I saw with Oscar uh, uh, and uh, Eo Sky. One of the best matches I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, look, look at the, that talent there, man! Unbelievable. So let's move on to December eighth, nineteen seventy eight, in Dallas, Texas. What's uh, what's going on there? All right, so this is a story within a story. So in 19, October eighth, nineteen seventy eight, Evelyn Stevens defeated Mula uh, to end her fourth reign as uh, NWA Women's Champion, but lost it two days later. So there's a lot more to this story, and you know, a lot of people think that. Mula won the title in 1956 by beating Tits McGee mm-hmm. and holding it for 28 years until she dropped it to Wendy. I don't know if she would beat Tits McGee, whoever she beat, uh, until she dropped it to Wendy Richter. But au contraire, mon frere, she did drop it a number of times. This was being this was one of them. Uh, another one was to Sue Green, who uh, Tex Green, who was a guest on Dan and Benny in the Ring, because Mula made the mistake of slapping her in the face really hard before the match. 
And Sue Green shot on her, made her tap out, and kept the title. But um, so where the story with Moolah ends, the story with Evelyn Stevens just begins. And uh, my my very good friend, Javier Oist, who writes for uh, Pro Wrestling Stories, wrote a very good story about this. But uh, Evelyn Stevens was initially married to the spoiler, Don Jardine. They got divorced. And then she married a gym owner named Frank Regal. Or Regal. Uh, but in December of 1986, she actually shot and killed a guy, was sentenced to 20 years in prison, but somehow was pardoned five years later. And uh, she's alive and well here in Tampa, Florida. What a story. So how did, how did the WWF get away with saying that Bula held the title from 1958 to 2000 or until 1984? I mean, I remember when, when the buildup with Richter, I mean, all I heard them say, and I could be wrong. I mean, it's been a while, but I don't ever remember them saying that she had a, an interrupted reign. I, they, they just said she's been the woman's champion for 28 years. Yep. They yep. never said she lost. But in, in reality, she lost a number of times. Yeah, absolutely. So let's move on to 1986 in Tampa, Florida. Barry Windham and Ron Bat defeats Ron Bass to win the NWA Florida Heavyweight Championship. Yeah. And uh, Barry was a, a phenomenal guest, recent guest on uh, Monty and the Pharaoh. And Barry Windham and my, this, I call it wrestling royalty. Barry Windham was wrestling royalty. He was one of the, in the 1980s, him, Flair, and Steamboat, to me, were the, the three best wrestlers. And you know, uh, Barry and, and Ron Bass had a, a, a heated feud for several years. And Florida, like I said before, that was one of those territories. I mean, you people don't realize that uh, back in the day, like going to early 80s, uh, if you were ambitious and you had a car, a working car, uh, they were in Orlando on Sunday, West Palm on Monday, Tampa, uh, Tuesday on, in Tampa, Miami on Wednesday. And I think... Uh, Jacksonville on Friday. I forget where they went on Thursday, but they did this for years and years and years. So I mean, you could how much wrestling you got to see in person was was totally dependent on just how either how much money you had. But back in the day, you know, again, the tickets were very affordable and what kind of working car you had and what kind of schedule you had. But I mean, like I said, I I could maybe see professional wrestling five times a year, maybe. Uh, but back then you could see it hundreds of times. So I'm wondering. So I'm not. I could, wasn't exposed to the Florida champion, Florida wrestling at that point. Just being up here in the Northeast. Uh, uh, but was Ron Bass doing that 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 blackjack uh, cowboy type gimmick then? Yeah, I believe he was. Right. I mean, they had so many characters. But that was when Kevin Sullivan introduced the. They never. He never said satanic. But uh, it, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it was you know his cult, which had uh, who was uh, Bob Roop, who was Maya Singh. Uh, Mark Lewin, who was the Purple Haze uh, woman, you know, uh, Nancy Benoit was, I think, the Fallen Angel. I mean, a whole bunch of them. I mean, and the angle with him and Billy Graham, where he blinded Billy Graham and Billy Graham did that promo in the desert. And if you've never seen that, just type in on YouTube, Billy Graham, break the chains that bind me. Unbelievable as far as a promo. Awesome. Now I'm going to look that up when I when I uh, when we wrap this up. So uh, let's move on to uh, 2001. Steve Austin defeats Kurt Angle to win the WWF Championship. Well, I mean Kurt Angle. What can you say about that talent and Steve Austin for such a short career in ring? Man, that guy, like especially as a main eventer. I mean, he he broke down so many boundaries. Uh, you know, Kurt Angle and, and uh, Steve Austin's feud was legendary. The milk truck angle, the uh, the uh, the beer truck. Yeah, it was just it was so much fun. Uh, Steve Austin, great talent. Kurt Angle, great talent. You, know, you can never go wrong with any of their matches. No, I mean, and I was shocked that Kurt Angle evolved into the personality that he was because I <laughs> I just looked at him as an Olymp- Olympic athlete. You know, pretty drab, pretty colorless. Once they turn him heel, he just he, he hit the off. ground running, and he never looked back. I still love that cow- that cowboy hat. Every time I see that that angle, I laugh. I've seen it, you know, so many times over. The oh years. yeah, and that, that never gets old. It really you know. does it. And uh, I recently saw him. He was on the Joe Rogan podcast, and uh, you know, the guy he's so charismatic. And he, he is a very intelligent, intelligent man. And to hear those stories of him, you know, wrestling hurt and how he got to be a, be such a great wrestler. It, it's unbelievable. 
They would broken have, freaking neck. Yeah, they, he would wrestle till pure exhaustion, and then his coach would make him start wrestling. So right, let's move on. Now we've got 2012 Branford, Connecticut. Oh, uh, I saved the best for last. Not really, I saved the worst <laughs> for last. So Tammy Sitch, aka Sonny, arrested for the fourth time in a month for violating a protective order, and this lady. And I use that term about as loosely as she is. Uh, she's gone down more times than the Titanic. Uh, rumor has it she's having surgery to uh, implant ball bearings in her kneecaps. <laughs> she can move around a little bit faster, if you know what I mean. And uh, if you look at this picture dictionary under hot mess and train wreck, you're going to see a picture of that. And besides what she did to uh, Chris Candido, which was not very nice, she's just like a tropical storm. She just leaves ruin and destruction wherever she landed. And on March 25th, 2022, uh, she crashed into the uh, back of a parked car right here in uh, Ormond Beach, Florida, uh, close by here, uh, killing the driver of the car. She pleaded no contest. Uh, I believe she's been in jail for the last year and a half. And she's still and there right now. <laughs> or, yeah, I, I don't think she's going to be getting out anytime soon. And, and she shouldn't. She's violent. No, good riddance. Yeah, absolutely. That woman is a menace to society. And do not give her a car. She's got in more car accidents with no license. She just does not learn her lesson and does not have any regard for the rest of humanity. Right. Totally agree. So, wow. You know, so, Betty, that was, a, that was a got. lot of fun. We got through that. that what a list. week we have. What yeah. a week in history. What a week of wrestling history. And listen, we only touched on some stuff. I mean, there's a lot more we could have brought in. But, you know, this, this is just scratching the surface. And uh, so let's talk about this. So. Which of these uh, things do you think had the biggest impact on professional wrestling? And I think we might both agree with it on this one. I don't know. I'm going to say, I'm going to go old school and say October 6, 1935, the birth of Bruno. Without Bruno, you know, if, we, if, if Bruno San Martino did not come to the WWWF in 19, first he, he was there first in 1960, and then back in uh, 1963, and that's when he won the title. Um, you think about it, you know, the, it wasn't that big of a, it was just a territory. Uh, you know, when, when, uh, Vince senior, uh, decided to, uh, promote the, um, the, uh, Ali and Oki match as, as, you know, or he, not that he promoted it, but he included it as part of the showdown at Shea and the, 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 the tickets weren't selling the, 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 the pay-per-view buys weren't selling. And, uh, Bruno had broken his neck, I think, what, three months before with Stan Anthony gave Brent. A lot of people think it was a lariat. It wasn't a lariat. It was a botched body slam. But Bruno is lying in the hospital. And Vince McMahon calls him in the hospital. Hey, Bruno, we really need you. And he goes, I'm lying here with a broken neck. I don't know if I'm be, ever be able to walk again, let alone wrestle. And <clears throat> Bruno somehow came back and uh, saved the day with some, allegedly, and we don't really know, but allegedly, if that did not happen, Vince Sr. could have went bankrupt. And if that happened, then we're not sitting here talking about wrestling, probably. No, I mean, you have to look at the, the legendary runs uh, of that man. If we did, in the Northeast, wrestling would not be wrestling if it weren't for, the, for Bruno San Martino. Well, and if, and if it wasn't for wrestling in the Northeast, you know, Vince Jr., he might have did something else for a living. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But awesome. Yeah, we, we both agree on that. I, I had a feeling we were going to agree on a, on the uh, most important on that list, but awesome. Betty, it's been a blast. You know, I, I really enjoy talking uh, wrestling history with you. We got to we'll get to do this again next week. Uh, that, pleasure is all mine, and I really enjoyed it. And, you know, like you said, I mean, when I did the research, did some of the research, I mean, I literally had to pick and choose because there were so many. I think we, we covered 24 events. I mean, there had to be 100. Yeah. And I had to just pick out what I thought maybe was meaningful. So, I mean, who knows what's going to happen next week? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For you know, this week in wrestling, next week in wrestling. Who knows? Who knows? So for this week in wrestling history, this is Bruce. And that's Benny. Benny, you want to take us out of here? Playa. The play of Betty. See you guys next week. Turn, tune in again. Later.